0: Listen in and let something you hear prompt you to take the first step in making the rest your best. Today's podcast episode is going to sound a little weird, but how I love to present uh my episodes to you is whether i have a guest or whether it's just me talking i always like to relate the story or the guest interview with how there's the universe speaking to us or a little woo woo as i call it involved in the choices we make and the things we do and how our life unfolds so today i thought and and the reason why i'm doing this today is because i woke up this morning and I didn't have an idea for today's podcast episode. And I always like to ask my higher self either through before I go to sleep at night to wake up with uh, an idea or just as I'm sitting in in silence. And I usually get a message. I get some kind of message and then I think sometimes it's odd, but okay. Okay because I've learned to follow my gut in that. And I know that whatever is sent is something, especially if I preface the request with what does my audience need to hear, it is usually something that will be helpful. So I usually sit like I did this morning and prep. Uh, Okay, I had that download. Now, how does that relate to how it can be of use to the listener? And of course, something came up very quickly, Uh, actually about three things in this story that uh, are really interesting uh, ways of looking at how my life, uh, number one, unfolded in this story uh, from childhood to adulthood, and secondly, how the crime that I'm going to talk about, how it was solved with the universe's help. So it's some crazy stuff. Uh, and if you like crime dramas or you like whodunits, (laughs) uh, and you like when bad guys get caught, this is something that you're going to want to listen to. And I also, if you are into that stuff, I have a couple of books that I'm going to recommend that you might want to read, uh, as I'm telling the story. So here we go. Okay. I'm going to jump right into the story because you're probably intrigued. Who was this serial killer? and what is the whole story about i was the wife of one of the two detectives that solved this pretty horrible horrendous case case's uh of uh really ultimately five murders but uh four that he was actually con- convicted for and i'll get into the details of the the the, f- the first one uh, and so yes, um I was married to a police officer and he became a homicide detective in his career and uh and in his police department uh, and the way probably a lot of them work is it's kind of a rotational basis and you work with a partner so they had oh gosh, I don't know there I think in total there were like three hundred officers and where we lived at the time uh was in the Washington d c area so the Uh, police department that he worked for is called Arlington County. You can look it up in a map. It's the first county that you enter after you leave, when you enter Virginia, after you leave Washington, D.C. And so it's right on the border of, in fact, the Potomac River uh, divides Washington, D.C. and Virginia. And so it's right on the Potomac River. In fact, a couple of landmarks uh, actually are in Arlington County. The Pentagon is in Arlington County and the uh, National Cemetery is in, uh, which is a famous place to visit. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers are there. That's in Arlington County. So he was a police officer at Arlington County Police Department. Very, very small. They don't have a lot of homicides. uh, Very, very few a year. At least this was in the 80s, 90s when, when, we were, when he was a police officer, he retired in like 2000. So this happened in the late 80s. And we just so happened to be living in Arlington County at the time. Most of my life, I was in the outskirts and the suburbs of Virginia, but we lived in, in Arlington County. So when he got assigned this case, we actually lived in Arlington County. And I, it's funny I say that because it's, it probably doesn't have a lot of meaning to to you, the listener, but um, I remember vividly conversations that were held in the kitchen, you know, the old time phones we used to have that had the cords and, and with this long cord. And he would talk to his partner for hours on end, trying to figure out who this serial killer was. And initially they didn't know it was a serial killer. They just knew that somebody had murdered somebody in Arlington and they were assigned the case. So, so they, you know, like I said, it's, it's a rotational basis. So By chance, he and his partner got this case. And I don't think it would have been solved if it was anybody else who got this case, because there were a couple of things, like I said, this is a little woo woo. And what I will tell you is that there were a couple of things that happened that um, I believe the universe was leading these two detectives to, to solve this murder case. And fortunately, they were paying attention to their instincts. So, I first want to begin after that little overview of talking about me as a child and and what I was interested in and i I, I talk to people about purpose a lot and and I, I talk to people about how um our thoughts create our reality, and so you have to be careful about what you think because uh, or be aware initially be aware of your thoughts and if you're thinking really bad thoughts of what you don't want, you have to be careful of that because you, the universe is listening. And the universe is listening to your thoughts. And so, if if you know, depending on what you're doing and what you're thinking, that will ultimately result in that reality uh, coming into your life. And so when I was a child, I loved reading. And I was fascinated uh, with books about like crime. I loved Nancy Drew. I don't know if anybody (laughs) uh, remembers Nancy Drew, um, but she was always solving puzzles. And and often they were like, whodunits kind of thing. And then my parents got this book called Blood Letters and Bad Men. I looked it up on Amazon. It, it's been republished. In fact, it's it's um, a 1995 uh, copyright date now. And I was like so frustrated because I was like, I know I read it earlier, and I couldn't find the earlier <laughs> copyright date. So I looked at the reviews, and somebody in the review said, "I love this book when I read it in 1975." But what Be- "Blood Letters and Bad Men" is is it's um uh, the description is a, it's a narrative encyclopedia of America's criminals from pilgrims to present. I just remember it being this big, huge, humongous book that no kid would want to read. Well, in 1975, I was a junior in high school. So, you know, if it was copyrighted, then I was I was somewhere in my my late high school years. Uh, And so I loved this book because it had the way it was written in encyclopedia form was these short, stories essentially of these criminals criminals from you know like john dillinger to bonnie and clyde to uh, there was a, a guy what was his name richard something he killed a bunch of nurses um of course ted bundy was in the book um i i think ted bundy had maybe maybe i'm wrong i'm not sure when ted bundy did his crimes but um if he had done them before 1975 then he was in the book but he might not have there was another guy Ed Gein. I remember he was terrible. He he actually initially dug up graves and w- he would freeze the body parts of the people. But then his friend who was helping him dig the graves, he like worked at the cemetery. It's funny what you remember, right? He it was just so horrible. <laughs> and then um when the guy died who helped him dig up the, the the dead bodies, he just decided to kill somebody because you know he didn't have his helper to help him dig up dead up bodies anymore. So, um, so I just remember he had made a, and this is probably why he stuck out so much to me. He had made a mobile, um, out of lips that he dangled in his kitchen on a string. So that's the kind of thing I like, it was just this book that was like, you'd read these stories. You'd be like, oh my gosh, crazy stuff. Right. So anyways, I, I loved this book and my parents used to say to me, you're going to be a detective one day. So they would make these comments. Little did I know that I would end up marrying a police officer. And when we married, he was just a beat cop. He was just on the street. He was a what they call police officer one, bottom of the rung. He had only been in the police department like a couple of years. Um, And then when you get promoted, you get promoted in his department to police officer two and police officer twos can apply to be a detective. So there's a process you have to go through or he had to go through. You had to get promoted and then you have to get selected. And the people who are detectives, they are in those roles forever. They don't ever want to go anywhere else. So the fact that an opening would happen was rare. And so when an opening comes up and there's a lot of people competing for it. So he got, you know, accepted as a detective and he got placed with a partner, Joe. And so they so so that in and of itself is crazy. Right. Because I had this interest and I didn't become a detective, but in my in my reality, one was presented to me, even though he wasn't one at the time, he became one. And so when I would think about that later in life, and this is before I ever even knew how the universe plants seeds and how the universe lays breadcrumbs, and and I, I didn't know any of that stuff. And um, so he, as a detective, he not only did murders, but because they didn't have a lot of murders, like I said, uh, but he would do like robberies and and burglaries and things like that, too. So Anyways, always fascinating stories. Fast forward to the case that uh, he and Joe were assigned, which was in the like 87, the latter part of 87. What happened was a woman was in Arlington, home alone. Her husband was on a business trip and she was home alone and the killer got in through a basement window. And... And he, the way he killed her was terrible. Um, he uh, raped her uh, while she was alive, uh, with ligatures choking her, uh, and then uh, she she was killed. She was strangled ultimately, uh, and so uh, it it became clear in the investigation that that he specked out the house, that he he knew she was going to be alone and he got into the house and was waiting for her. So kind of like really scary creepy. It was very scary. It was a scary time because you know the serial, well, at the time we did not know he's a serial killer. We knew that this bad murder had happened. It was around Thanksgiving is when it happened. So a couple of things that were kind of serendipitous were that we, my husband, my ex-husband and I, had gone to visit my college best friend who lives two hours away in in Richmond, Virginia, which is south of DC. And we had gone to visit her and had stayed with her. And she told us about this murderer had killed three women in Richmond in a very short period of time, over like a month or six weeks or something. And they had dubbed him the South Side Strangler he was strangling people and and granted this was like september october before my husband was assigned the case so she was so freaked out and this is a roommate i love her dearly she's still one of my best friends but she would in college go to sleep with a butter knife under her pillow because she was so afraid of like things that could come in the night uh and so and i would say a butter knife that's gonna hurt anybody but made her feel safer so here she was, in living in this town that a serial murderer was rampant, running rampant, and it was it was really terrible. Uh, and so, and her husband was a, a salesman, so he would travel. So she had done this thing with her windows where she had her these, these, um, like little rods put in the window so you couldn't like raise, you, you couldn't jimmy the window and raise it because it had these b- little steel thingies in them. I'd never seen anything like it, but that's how like scared she was. And so that's just a little nugget I want to share because fast forward, my ex husband gets the call, there's this murder so they started he and his partner started to investigate this crime and of course his gut was like this seems really familiar to the to what was happening in richmond i wonder what that because these jurisdictions really don't talk to each other much there there's like not like this i mean i think there's a bulletin when there's like be on the lookout for but I don't think there was much awareness that this was happening in Richmond. But my ex-husband, because we had been there recently, and he heard about this, they contacted the Richmond Police Department to learn more about these crimes because he thought there maybe there's some similarities here, right? And there was an exact pattern. You know, you can tell when the what its M O is is similar, and. The other crazy thing is that the Richmond Police Department had done and taken DNA samples from the crimes. Now, this is 87. DNA was very, very new technology, and it took many weeks to get results. It wasn't the the technology it is today. And so Arlington County had never done any kind of DNA testing for any crimes. It was brand new to them. And so, because Richmond had done DNA testing, they said, well, let's do DNA testing on this because then we can see if it's the same person. And again, it takes quite some time to get those results back. So, they did. They uh, eventually, like six weeks it would take, um, they got the DNA samples back and it was the same person who had killed three women in, in Richmond. And so they started to, you know, they, you know, they got a um, FBI crime profiler on the case and the profiler, what they do is they look at the case. They they look at the, you know, uh, the similarities of the cases, um, kind of the locations of the cases and that sort of thing. And then they put together a, a profile of who they think the person who would do something like this would be. So they had a little bit of a knowing that from this FBI, like it was, it's just like a psychology profile that says, these are the characteristics of somebody who would do a crime like this. So one of the characteristics of somebody who would do a crime like that was somebody who as a juvenile, was a juvenile delinquent and somebody who had probably set fires. Isn't that crazy? would think that like somebody who set fires would later kill somebody. I didn't know there was that correlation, but apparently there is. Um, and so they had that little nugget. And then they also started thinking, you know, Richmond is where three happened and Arlington is where one happened. So there's a tie between these two cities that this person has. And, and the one that happened in Arlington was over Thanksgiving time frame. So the working theory was this was probably somebody who lived like his home, his childhood maybe because he was home visiting his family or his friends was in Arlington. So that was a little bit of a working theory they had. And so what they did is they just started I mean this is just true detective work, right? They're they're they they're talking a lot talking a lot they're looking through evidence a lot they're talking to the fbi they're uh, the, and 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 when uh, what i think is so interesting about detectives is they really have to go with their instinct a lot they, ha- they they use their instinct to follow up on something and there's there's a lot of things to follow up on right and so you have to prioritize those things and so you have to a lot lead with let, let your instinct lead you to what's the most important to do right now. What do we need to do? But, but they talked every single night for like an hour. And as a mom with young kids, you know, I was probably not the most supportive because I was like, when are you going to get off the phone? (laughs) You've been on the phone for an hour. But yet at the same time, I knew the clock was ticking and I knew this guy was going to kill somebody else. It was just a matter of time. But Mike's partner, Mike was my ex-husband and He had been a detective for many, many years. He was one of those who never leaves. He never left the, he he was there till he retired. Uh, And my ex-husband ultimately moved on. He got promoted uh, again and moved out. He ended up later in his career going back as the head of the homicide department, which that is amazing as well. Uh, But um, in this situation, he was was one of the detectives and um, Joe was, because he had been a te- detective for so long he had remembered a kid who had set fire to his mother's car when he was like 13 or 14 but he couldn't remember his name but he had worked the case a few years back so this was this it turned out the 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 killer was in his like early 20s and so it had been several years probably like 10 years but he remembered His, his, his mind went to this. That's, that's your gut. And, and that is a knowing he had a knowing in inside of him and he, and he didn't try to force logic into it. He just had this knowing and he was like every single night for, I think it was like three days because I remember my ex-husband telling me he he th- he remembers this kid and we we he's trying to remember his name and he can't remember his name and guess what and that's what the brain does the universe really helps you if you have a question and you desire an answer you you if you're patient it will come it came he had this name it was like Timothy Spencer It's Timothy Spencer. That's the kid who set fire to his mom's car. So he got on the computer and he started looking, Timothy Spencer, Timothy Spencer. So what what he did was figured out what came up on the computer was he had been in prison for three years. Uh, And so he had gotten released from prison. He, He had went to prison on a burglary charge. And so he was released from prison and was in a halfway house so they found out okay this he he was out of prison he was in a halfway house he had the freedom he was in richmond the halfway house is in richmond and so they were like okay we're going to like pursue this lead this this kid matches the FBI profile and Although I, there was one difference on the FBI profile. The FBI profile said that the, the person would be white and uh, Timothy was a black man. So that was one difference. So the like the profile isn't always completely accurate, but what part of the profile was accurate and they didn't let that like um differentiation of race deter them from thinking then that's what the logic brain can do oh no no it can't be that because the profile says this but no they they were just following the lead that said this kid probably started fires probably had a little angsty against his mother right because who is he killing women right in a tortuous way so he uh they They pursued this lead, and they went to the halfway house and checked the records. And guess what? Timothy had checked out and didn't check in on the evenings or or checked it. I think they had a curfew of a certain time. They had to be in by ten p m or something. And he didn't he didn't check in in time. he He missed curfew. So hey, so there's a little evidence there, a little patterning there. Meanwhile, they're doing this while they're waiting for the DNA to come back to say, is this the same guy that did these Richmond things? So these, all these pieces, you have to put these pieces of the puzzle together to go before a grand jury to have enough evidence that the grand jury says, yeah, you you can arrest him. And, and you know, DNA, like I said, was very, very new then. Uh, and so they had to have more proof other than just the DNA, although the DNA is pretty convincing, but they had had to like piece together what they thought happened and how he could have been the one, how there was evidence to show that it was likely him. But the other key thing about this case, which is crazy, is that prior to him being in prison for three years, there was another rape and murder in Arlington County. And the unfortunate thing about that is that the wrong person was put in prison. So not only were they trying to solve these four recent murders, there was a murder that had happened four years previously, and they were realizing, oh my gosh, we think this guy did that. And so that was, that was the problem, a, a big problem plus the detective that helped convict the person who was in prison was still a detective so that's a difficult situation when you're basically telling your part, your one of your peers that they put the wrong guy in prison that that created a little bit of you know uh, friction i would say in the uh, detective bureau, but you don't want the wrong person to be in prison, right? So the problem with the person being in prison is they, they uh, were, they confessed. So, you know, when you confess, it's hard to, to be not guilty, uh, turns out this was a, a a kid that lived in the neighborhood. He was, I think it was like 19 years old and he was learning disabled and he was wandering the streets at night. And so he was picked up and questioned in the way that is not the way that you see it on Dateline, right? Um, really kept too long and too tired. And, and just, he, I mean, this happens to really smart people, but, and he didn't have uh, his parents with him. Obviously he, uh, was old enough to not have his parents with him, but uh, someone who uh, was, was of, you know, learning disabled, um, easy to take advantage of. And so, uh, so they had that to deal with. So they ended up getting the DNA back and realizing this is the guy, this is the guy, he's done both the crimes. Um, they were able to find DNA from the earlier crime as well. They had they had saved things, right? That's what they do with crime scenes. They have a box in the basement of the department somewhere. I've seen it on TV, and so they were they had you know still like her clothes that they could get DNA from because DNA when she was killed wasn't a thing, but they had it. That's how these a lot of these cold cases are are being solved, and so they they got the her clothing and they were able to determine that he did that as well. And the person who was wrongly convicted was exonerated. And I think he was given like a million dollars. So he was, he was not that that gives him his four years back, but um, it does, it did exonerate him, fortunately. Uh, But if they hadn't have found Timothy Spencer, he would have committed more murders and that person would have remained in prison for the rest of his life. Uh, And so, so, yes. So, the 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 intuition of knowing that you know who this is and you just got to think of his name. And isn't that like I, that to me, that would be so stressful because you know he's out there and you know he's going to kill somebody else. But fortunately, they were able to arrest him. They arrested him January. I, I actually Googled this because I was like, I want to have my facts right? because, uh, I, at the timing, I just remember we lived, I remember how long we lived in Arlington, but I just, and I remember them being on the phone all the time. Uh, and I remember the case. So, so he was arrested in January of '88. And my ex husband went to pick him up in Richmond and drove with him for two hours to Arlington County Jail where he was placed under arrest. And he didn't think, he was going to get arrested cuz he didn't know anything about dna and so when they arrested him um yeah they 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 knew that pretty it was pretty well i actually um let me say this I, I i did get this wrong they didn't have the dna results by the time they arrested him they just had a lot of uh you know evidence that it was probably him uh and so the dna ev- the dna uh results hadn't come back yet and so when they when they got him in it rested, uh, you know, they were still waiting, they were still waiting for the results, and then they got the results. So, so yeah, so that was uh, a very stressful time, because um, they were worried, you know, what if this these results aren't right. Um, but they had enough evidence to at least arrest him and get him off the street before he murdered anybody else. Uh, But I remember my ex-husband saying, he's actually a nice guy to talk to. You never know. Evil lurks. And you don't know what somebody's thinking in their head. And uh, he also said he was very uh, kind of, uh, you know, I I don't want to say sassy, but um, he, he, he just had this air of confidence that It was like he wasn't gonna get caught. He didn't think there was proof enough to catch him because, like I said, he didn't know about DNA. A lot of people didn't know about how it's like, yeah, if it matches, (laughs) you're 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 going down. Uh yeah. And so uh that was an amazing experience to witness. Uh and as you can imagine, hearing my backstory about how fascinated I am with these these kind of things and I love Dateline and I love these um these mysteries. Um, and what I've learned about myself is, and I think you should question this about yourself is are the what are the things that are interesting you? Maybe they've been something a pattern your whole life, something that's interested you. but how is that showing up in your life today and and what I've come to realize is, People fascinate me and what makes them tick. And so somebody who murders somebody is, is to me, like, what is going on there? I want to figure it out. And that's why I like these competition reality shows because like your real personality comes out. Uh, And I love watching people. I used to love, I could sit in a mall all day and watch people. And it's so funny that when I went out to Utah to mentor with, um, to work with my mentor, Alex Paulos, is that what we, that's what we did. Like he reads people. And so as he was teaching me how to read people, we went to malls. That was the assignment. And I was like, oh, I used to do this when I was a kid, but I didn't know like really that uh, I could read people. If only I knew how to do that then, um, that would have like, I would have never left the mall. I would have sit there all night and the next day Uh, But yeah, I think um, if you have a fascination for people and like I do, and you think, oh, that's just weird or um, gosh, uh, that's unhealthy. uh, Well, I think it might be leading you to something you should do or some activity, like maybe you should volunteer at a suicide hotline or maybe you should, you know, get trained and really, uh, how to understand and and coach people how how to like question them in a way that uh, can help them and help them live a better life or help them um find a better way. So I think these things in our past are 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 those like whispers are those breadcrumbs? are those uh, nuggets that are are leading us to what interests us. I mean, it is what interests us and it's leading us to like, you know, this, this path, there's something on this path of interest that will make your life purposeful, that will make your life, uh, because we want, when we're working on purposeful things, we want, to find them interesting and so what is it that is interesting you and how has that has that come true in your reality How has that surfaced in your reality has anything that you did when your child that you thought a lot about become your reality as an adult good or bad so the couple things i want to recommend in terms of books as I wrap this up is that there was a book written about this case in in case you want to read more about it but it was it's called Stalking Justice uh, and it was written gosh it was written in early 90s after the case case or yeah I think it was written sometime in the 90s um, because yeah he was arrested in January of 88 and then he was put to death. So this is actually the first case in the United States where a serial killer was convicted uh, with the using DNA evidence. So it was, a, it was a pretty incredible time because he was convicted of capital murder, which is in the state of Virginia, uh, death penalty. And so, um, so he was actually put to death. Uh, so he is no longer being, uh, we are not no longer spending our tax dollars on his, uh, food and beverages, <laughs> um, and room and board, put it that way. So, uh, yeah, so the book Stalking Justice is something, uh, by Paul Monets, M-O-N-E-S. I'll put these links in the show notes. Um, and then another book that I had read, which I found super fascinating, was called and and back in the day when when I uh, was reading things other than self help books because that's about all I read now. Um, but this was called the blooding, and it's by Joseph Wong, Wong, Bog, Wong And what is interesting is this is an English a serial killer and an well serial killer yeah when you kill more than one person two teenage girls were killed in the early eighties well eighty three and eighty six. And um, it's very similar to this case. Somebody was put in jail. See, DNA evidence has has DNA technology has helped so many people, so many innocent people, from going to prison. And so it is just you know I'm grateful for that technology. But anyways, um, it, it happened in this village in in England, and so it's called the blooding because. They had this uh, massive blood drawing exercise, like over 5000 people in in this village uh, were were their blood was drawn. Yeah. So that is the story about that English case. Uh, and and of course, DNA was used. So this ha- case happened prior to Timothy Spencer. So that's why it's, Timothy Spencer was the first case in the United States in America, but it wasn't the first case in the world because I think this one, The Blooding, was the first case in the world where this happened. And so, yeah, so that was an interesting read. Uh, and that was, yeah, written in 1990. So these are these are a little bit older books, but if you're interested in these stories, I thought this would be an interesting take on how the universe is always listening and helping if we allow it to help us. And I love this story because it truly helped these two detectives and they paid attention. And I think detectives that are successful, there's a, there's a lot of intuition that has to go into that and to get, to get the, these, these, these evil people off the streets. So this a little fun fact you might not have known about me. My ex-husband and I are still friends. He he and I were married for like 25, 26 on paper years. And he went on after uh, being a police officer to build a business. He w- he loved flying. We, we both had our pilot's license. And in fact, I was getting my pilot's license when we went on our first date. He picked me up at, at Dulles Airport after a, a lesson I had. Uh, I often think he married me because he was fascinated in flying. And so, uh, so yeah, so we we had our, our pilot's license. And um, so that was a real fascination of his and hobby. And then after he left the police department, got into an aviation business. And so that was incredible because he he went on for 10 years after that. To build a business, uh, be an entrepreneur, and uh, and then he got into real estate. So really successful real estate person. So I think he's retired now, unless business comes to him. I think he's mostly retired. But yeah, so that is oh oh, and there is a Lifetime TV show, or you know, it's it's one of those. I think it's Forensic Files, in fact. So Forensic Files, there is an episode on this case. So Joe and my ex-husband are in in this. My ex-husband's the one with the real big black bushy mustache. <laughs> so that's my past. One of my stories that you might not have known about. I hope you got something out of it uh, and it resonated with you, but it, it came from a download this morning as I was waking up. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning into the Living Your Spark Second Half Podcast. If you'd like to watch my guest interviews, you can find the video version of this podcast on my Not Your Average Grandma YouTube channel. Also, you can check out what I have going on at the moment by going to my website at notyouraveragegrandma.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at notyouraveragegrandma. Grandma. If you like this episode, please mention it to a friend and don't forget to leave a review so I know the topics you like best and can bring you more of that content in upcoming episodes. Last but not least, Remember to always listen to that inner voice that will never steer you wrong and make living from the most sparked place possible your biggest priority. When we do that, we make the world a better place.